Let's read John chapter 8, verse 2 to 11. John chapter 8, verse 2 to 11. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. If not, the giant Bible on screen. Here we go. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made a stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin Be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Amen. Amen. I don't know what music you grew up with, but when I was growing up in high school, there were five girls in England who dominated the music charts. And one of their greatest songs went something like this. I, now I can't remember it. I try to memorize it. (laughs) tell me what you want what you really want (laughs) firstly i apologize my about my voice i'm not sick uh we had a volleyball competition yesterday and um just i was just too busy yelling at my team (laughs) and then i confessed my sin to god and he he forgave me i tell you what i want what i really really want tell me what you want what you really want. Tell me what you want, what I really want. I tell you what I want, what I, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. And then no one knows the last part of that rap. <laughs> zika, zika, ah. And then inappropriate language that we're not going to use in church. <laughs> you know, like, as funny as that sounds, it, that, that really is our heart's desire. We all want what we want. We all want what we want. You know, like, and that's the battle of adulthood. See, when you're a kid, right, you know what you want and, and you just want it. You, that's it. It doesn't matter what's happening. My daughter today, she wanted a lolly. There's no, you know, sensitivity about, you know, what's going on. There's no, like, oh, I might share it or if I, may, if I don't have it, then I can share it with someone else. So there's no thinking about anyone else. I want this and I want it now. But as we get older, we just get better at masking it. We just get better at, at, at sort of manipulating it. And sometimes we know, oh, yeah, maybe we, we, we'll, we, we do want that and, and then we'll go for it. But sometimes we're like, oh, socially not acceptable. Maybe we'll just wait. And a lot of times we, we, we want these things and, and, and our justification for it is, is this phrase, I deserve it. I want it because I deserve it. I want good marks because I deserve it. 
I want a good job because I deserve it. I want a promotion because I deserve it. And sometimes I believe that we do that to God. We go to God with our desires. We go to God with our thoughts. And, 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 and somewhere in our minds, we think that it's okay to say to God, God, I want this because I deserve it. And said, I've titled today, I want a justice, but God gave me mercy. And this is what this passage is all about. I want a justice. I want what I deserve. See, that's what justice is. Justice is you get what you deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. That's justice. And we see in this passage, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law all wanted justice. But they're going to test Jesus with this. Verse 2 again. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Okay, here's the trap being set. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, you've got to understand the situation. It's not like, a, hey, Jesus, so I had this question. Jesus is in the middle of the temple. He is teaching. It is a holy place. The Pharisees bring in a woman, and it literally says, caught in the act of adultery. A woman that was caught in the act. Now, some commentators think that when they brought the woman to the temple, literally, literally they pulled her out in her naked self and made her stand before all these people and before Jesus in her shame and guilt, in her naked self to Be put before Jesus. Now, this isn't, as I said, it's not a light matter. It's not just a, oh, this is a nice story. No, 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 no. It, it, it's a story of outrage. You know, sometimes we read this story and we go to, and we think to the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, how dare you? How dare you try to trap Jesus? But, but sometimes we point the finger at them thinking, oh, you guys are wrong. But actually, they're not wrong in the sense that what they say is completely true. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it reads this, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This is law that God gave to Moses, to the Israelites in the Old Testament. This is law. So what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are saying to Jesus is not wrong. It's actually right. What they're saying is she deserves to die because that's justice. That's justice. Now, you've got to understand, justice is not a bad word. Justice is a great word. Justice is a word that comes from God himself because God is a just God. God must punish sin. 
The law isn't just something that was thought up by man, but it was given to man by God to represent God's justice. So you, you need to understand this woman caught in adultery deserves death because of her sin. Let's read on, verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stood down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. What an amazing response from an amazing God. You know, Jesus doesn't declare that the law was wrong. No, the law was right. God is a just God that must punish sin. Jesus upholds that law and tells the crowd, yes, this woman who is caught in sin deserves to die. Yes. Everyone pick up your rocks. But let the one who has not sinned themselves be the first to throw. See, real justice is displayed in this story. The woman deserved to die. But the reality was, so did every other person in that crowd but Jesus. You know, there are over 600 laws given to us, uh, given in the Old Testament. And so many of these laws, none of us can keep. And that's what the point Jesus was making in that place was, look, She's, she, she's a sinner. She deserves to die. Feel free to go and kill her only if you have no sin yourself. See, the only person that actually had the right to claim justice in this situation was Jesus himself because Jesus was the only one without sin. So Jesus establishes this and challenges the religious people. Go for it if you are sinless yourself. You know, there's that, there's that phrase, right? People in glass houses. That's right. Good job, guys. <laughs> People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. What's that mean? It means you got to know where you stand as well. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And every single person walked away. So then we see this awkward situation where this woman, who's still probably naked and just standing there, thought she was going to die. You know, like all these grown men in robes like had rocks. They were ready to kill her. She's standing there getting ready to die. Jesus is playing Mr. Squiggle in the sand. Who knows what he was drawing? You know, and then, and then all these guys leave. 
And then Jesus is like, woman, where's everyone gone? She's like, no one's here. No one is left. No one is here to condemn me. And, and Jesus says this, neither do I condemn you. See, this is an amazing thing because you've got to understand, Jesus had every right. Jesus had every right to pick up a stone and kill that woman. And un under God's law, it is justified. Because Jesus is without sin. See, as much as we cry for justice, what we really need in our lives is mercy. Mercy is defined compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is uh, within one's power to punish or harm. Jesus had every right to punish or harm un under God's law, this woman who was in sin. Technically, he could have harmed all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as well, and that would be called justice. But what Jesus shows, even though he had this power to punish, he doesn't show justice, but he gives mercy, compassion, and forgiveness to the woman. Jesus declared, then neither do I condemn you. This, my friends, is mercy. This is forgiveness. See, this is a really important passage for us because this is one of those passages in the Bible that actually framework our whole lives, who we are. As much as what, as, as much as we, we, we look at this woman and we think, well, you're so messed up and you're so lucky that Jesus saved you, uh, that's actually our story. And I think there's three things that we really need to learn from this passage tonight. I just want to quickly go through these things for us to understand uh, where we sit with justice and mercy. The first thing is this. Before God, you don't want justice. See, we cry justice, justice in this world all the time. You know, we see, uh, you know, you watch the news and, and, and you see horrific things happen in this world and you cry out, justice, justice, justice. We want justice. And that's not a bad thing. But when you're standing before God and in your relationship with God, you, you don't want justice, justice, justice. Because you're a sinful person. And if God is meant to repay and ultimately give you what you deserve because of your sin, because of your sinful nature, God, He will destroy you. When we cry justice before our holy and perfect God, you know, as much as we might think, well, we haven't killed anyone, we're not that bad. I haven't committed adultery. You know, the problem is, we think that we're somewhat okay. And we get this because we don't compare ourselves to God, we just compare ourselves to our neighbor. And that's why we think before God, we're okay, right? Like, yes, I'm not God, but, you know, I'm better than my neighbor or I'm better than, you know, my leader or I'm better than that person who hardly comes to church or whatever, right? And we, we, we think that we're okay, but, but, but you can't compare with other people. You have, to com you have to contextualize with God. And before God, 
creator God, our, we are caught on the other side. We're not, on, we're not on the good side of God. We're on the opposite side. We're on the sinful side. We're on the, sin, uh, we're, we're on the side of death. They said the problem that we have is we categorize our sinfulness to really bad sin and just a little bit bad sin. And sometimes we even commit what we would call acceptable sin. Acceptable sin. It's a ridiculous term in itself, but we think that it's okay. But the reality is sin before God is sin. It doesn't matter what color you want to paint it. It doesn't matter how big or small you want to make it. Sin before God is sin. There are no categories before sin. And because that is the case, Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned. That means the person next to you is a sinful person just like you. You know, some of us are like, yeah, but I'm not as bad as them. Don't look at that. Don't look at the person next to you. All have sinned. Now, I, I, I don't know every single person in this room as, as well as I'd like to get to know you. And I'm sure you're a lovely person. And I'm sure you're a nice person. But you're a sinful person. All have sinned. Doesn't matter how long you've lived your life. Doesn't matter how much you give to charity. Before perfect God, you do not live up to that perfect standard. And we all might think, well, what's so bad about being sinful? Well, the, what's so bad about being sinful is, is you will get what you deserve before the just God. And, and the punishment for sin isn't just a slap on the wrist. It's death. Eternal death. Physical and spiritual death. Romans 6, 26, the wages of sin is death. You live this life for sin, you will be paid. I love how they say the wages of sin, like you've earned it. You worked hard and here you go, you know, tax deductible, that's how much you get, death. You want justice? You don't want justice before God. You want what you deserve before holy God? You think that you're going to receive like a little slap? You think that you're going to receive a, a reduced punishment? No, before holy God, you are as sinful and as corrupt as any other person. What you will deserve to receive because of your sin and because of your rebellious life is death. I tell you what I want. What I really, really want, and it's not death. Eternal death is not what I want. But at this point in time, that's what you and I deserve. Before God, you don't want justice. Here's the second thing. Before God, you don't want justice. You want mercy. If we truly understand the depth of our sinfulness and what we really deserve, we don't go to God and cry out, God, justice be done. We cry out, God, have mercy on your servant. We don't want what we deserve. We want what we don't deserve. And that's forgiveness. 
Romans 6, 26. I love this verse. For the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. That's justice. But His mercy, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, none of us deserve a second chance in life. None of us do. You are born a sinner. You live a sinner. You deserve eternal damnation. But we receive mercy in the form of a pardon that comes from a man by the name of Jesus Christ who was sent to us by God himself. Jesus gives this to us not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Ephesians 2, 4-5, this is in the ESV. But God being rich in what? Being rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. Not rich in judgment. Not rich in justice. Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. It is this mercy that allows us to even come to God. Mercy. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What we need before God is not justice. What we need is mercy. You don't want what you deserve before God. You know your life. Like there's no one here, please don't kid yourself, there's no one here that can say, I, I'm actually very good. <laughs> I, I, I live a very good life. Now I tell you, I promise you, you might be better. You might live a better life than your friend or your, your neighbor. It's not a good life. It's like jumping to the moon. I always use this analogy. I think it's the, great, the best one. You know, two people are jump, trying to jump to the moon, right? Imagine it's like me and like Steve Kim, right? Steve Kim, it's like half my weight, right? And I'm trying to jump to the moon, man. And I'm, I'm getting like 30 centimeters to the moon. And Steve's like, I can, I can get way closer to the moon. I can jump way higher. And he, and he jumps like a meter. A meter, right? He, he just absolutely schools me in jumping to the moon, and I think to myself, man, like he's so much better than me at jumping towards the moon. And Steve's looking down on me like, man, he can't, man, he, I'm way better than him. Just as a side note, we play tennis. I smashed him. <laughs> Nothing to do with the sermon. I just had to put that in there. I did tell him I'll just say it once in my lifetime. Anyone wants to beat me in tennis, you have to play Steve and beat him first. And then you can play me. His face is going red. A little bit embarrassing, hey. But it's okay. I'm pretty sure you can jump closer to the moon than me. You know, from, from Earth, from our perspective, like Steve is going to, he's going to jump way closer to the moon. But the problem is where you're watching it from. If someone's on the moon, if someone's on the moon and watching myself trying to jump there and watching Steve try to jump there, is he going to see any difference? No. And that's the thing about sin. You might be better or worse than other people, but from God's perspective, you're exactly the same. Not even close. Not even close. We don't want justice. We need mercy. 
Finally, the third thing that we need to understand about justice and mercy is not that not just we receive mercy or we desire mercy, but being recipients of mercy, we are called to be merciful. Luke 6.36 reads, Be merciful. I love it when the Bible is very direct. It doesn't airy-fairy about, you know, what does this mean? Well, Jesus says, be merciful. Okay, so let's just kind of like leave it right there, right? Be merciful. You know, someone that understands mercy, someone that understands that you deserve death, but you receive life because of Jesus and He was merciful on you, how can then you not show mercy to other people? Wouldn't that be the biggest uh, hypocrite? You know, hypocrisy, you know, to receive this forgiveness and not be able to uh, forgive others. And, you know, Jesus tells so many parables about things like that. Be merciful. As ones that are on the receiving end of mercy, we should be the first to show mercy. In a world that is so quick to judge each other. Isn't that the case? We watch TV and we are so quick to judge each other. You know, this person is like this because they live like this and they come from this suburb and they kind of, you know. This world is, is this world, they, they fly flags of truth and justice. But as Christians, we should be flying the flag of mercy because we are recipients of mercy. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, for those that cannot show mercy, they, how can you receive it? I believe that when we truly understand mercy and the mercy of God that we receive, we need to learn how to show this mercy to others, whether it be in your family, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your schools. You know, it's easier to tell someone that they're wrong. You know, when you're in an argument with someone, so much easier, especially when you're married. All the married, married people would know this. How much easier is it to tell your spouse that they're wrong? So easy. And how much joy does it bring to us, right? When you know you are right and your spouse is wrong. Oh, fly the flag of victory that day. Oh, there's so much joy in that. But I believe that as people that receive forgiveness, the first point is for not to us to teach people that they are right and wrong, but really our first point should be compassion, empathy, and forgiveness for being wrong. Jokes. I'm just saying, I'm always, I'm on, the, I'm on the receiving end. My wife is one of the most merciful people in the world. People are nodding. That's really mean. I thought you were my friends as well. <laughs> it's harder to show mercy and forgiveness rather than to tell them what's right and wrong. But the secret is this. If you can remember that you were shown mercy first, then it gets a lot easier to show mercy to others. Let me finish with this story. 
Once upon a time, there was a king, and he ruled a kingdom with power and authority. This king was known for two things. He was known for, he was, he was feared by his people because he ruled with an iron fist. But he was also loved by his people because the king was a kind and compassionate king. One day his servants ran into his palace. I was about to say office. <laughs> Need to contextualize the story. Servants ran into the office of the king and said, King, O king, we have caught a trespasser. We have found one guilty of committing a crime. What shall we do? The king said, what is the crime? And the servants said, we have caught someone stealing. So the king said, what does the law say that should be the punishment for one that is caught stealing? And the servants said, 40 lashes, 40 whips to the back. And the king said, then go and do that. And the servants said, but sir, we have a small problem. It's your son. Now the king has found himself in a very difficult situation. There was a lot of talk in the town. What would the king do? The people that believed in the justice of the king, they said, of course, the king is just. He must punish sin even if it's his own son. But those that really believed in the love of the king were saying things like, how can the king punish his own son? Surely not. The town was divided and the king was troubled. The morning after, the king awoke and ordered the son to be tied up in the city square where the punishment would be executed. And when morning came, the whole town came into the city square. Those that believed in the justice of the king said, yes, our king is just. He will execute regardless of who it is. And those that believed in the love of the king were in shock Saying, no, surely not. Surely he will not punish his own son. The son was tied up. The king told the servants, take the robe off the son. And people were like, oh. They said, get ready to lash. moment of silence and as the executioner was about to whip the son the king stopped him and those that believed in the love of the king said yes 
We knew the king was a loving king, a loving father. Surely he will not punish his own son. And those that believed in the just of the king, the justice of the king were like, no, he must punish. And what the king did next amazed the whole town. The king stepped down from his throne, took off his robe, went and covered his son and then ordered the execution of the punishment that was deserved for the son. And that day, the father received the 40 lashes. Now, I don't know if this story is true or not, but that is the picture That is the picture of the love and justice of our God. Our God is a just God who must punish sin. He must punish sin because He is a just God. But instead of dishing out that punishment for us, He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, And that's what Jesus did for us. He didn't just cover us. See, the punishment for our sin isn't 40 lashes. The punishment for our sin is death. And what Jesus did, he took that punishment. He took exactly that punishment that was for you and I, and he took it upon himself. And he did that because he loved us. Friends, one day, You will need to account for your sin. You will need to stand before the great judge and account for the way you've lived your life. Let me give you some advice. Don't stand before God and say, just give me what I deserve. You will not be happy with that result. Justice is not what you want from God. What you want from God is His mercy through His Son, Jesus. The Bible tells us that it was Jesus that took our punishment. Two weeks time, we celebrate Easter, where we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what He did. He took the punishment and died on the cross, a death that you and I, a death that you and I deserve. That's justice. But instead of us dying, Jesus chose to take it for us. That, my friends, is mercy. So when you stand before God, when you stand before Him, ask Him not for justice, but for mercy. And for those who understand that they have received mercy, I encourage you to live a life that shows mercy to others around you as well. There's always someone. There's always someone around in your circles that you can forgive. And maybe tonight you need to do that. Let's pray.